Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. Welcome everyone to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. This is episode number seven, isn't it, Quinn? Wow, number seven. Number seven. We are here joined by a very, very special guest today. That would be the former net cop himself, Scott Keith. How you doing, Scott? Uh, I'm doing good, thanks. I got plenty of Americans living in my basement now. <laughs> there you are. More around the way. Yeah. More on the way, yeah. Everybody <laughs> moved in last night. It's hell on my Wi-Fi, but you know, it's, that's okay. <laughs> So, folks, Quinn and I have over 40 years of combined fandom. Scott, how long have you been watching wrestling? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I started in 1986, uh, officially, and then for, for a few years before that. So, uh, give my inch now. I'm at around 30 years, I'd say. Wow. So, today, folks, we've got 70 years of combined yes. wrestling fandom on the line with the you. The years are piling up <laughs> on this show. Uh, so, same format as usual, but we've got a very special guest with us, Scott Keith. From the Blog of Doom, formerly of Ransylvania. Quinn and I have been reading you, Scott, since the Ransylvania days, believe it or not. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Uh, That was a long time ago, yeah. uh, The Smarks, obviously, all all throughout that 411. And uh, now where where else are you, Scott, right now? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm also writing for thesportingnews.com. That's right. As well. Uh, Insidepulse.com as well. I'm on there, too. So Nice. Technically, technically, I write for whatculture.com as well, but I haven't really gotten around to doing anything for them for a while, but uh, I'm still part of the staff there, too. Gotcha. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And the podcast of Doom, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the podcast of Doom is kind of on the back burner right is now, it? but yes, okay. that's, that's uh, <laughs> we maybe listen someday to we'll fire it up again. Yeah, cool, cool. So, for our first segment, I am going to throw a missed opportunity out there. I'll, I'll start with you, Scott, and then Quinn, of course, feel free to sure. chime in. I'm going to take you back to 1997 now. Okay. Ken Shamrock, <laughs> and here's why I think it was a missed opportunity. You had a guy that was dubbed at the time from the world of UFC, the world's, no, was the baddest man on the planet, or was that Mike Tyson, the world's most dangerous, dangerous man. ABC. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. <laughs> and they brought him in, and the way they brought him in was cool. I liked it. He was the ref in that submission match at WrestleMania 13, and they had him punk out, I guess, a few jobbers for a little bit, and he had a, a pretty cool match against Vader, I think, at the May of 97 in your house. I think he beat mistaken. up Waller or something, too. I don't think he beat up Waller. Like, ankle-locked him? No, Billy Gunn. Okay. Rock a Billy Gunn. But then, a few months later, he's in a loser-eats-dog-food match. <laughs> and he had, like, a really crappy world title match against Shawn Michaels. And it, to me, it seemed like they had a lot of potential with him, and they only kind of half-used it. I don't know if that was maybe a booking limitation or a Shamrock limitation. So, Scott, I'll start with you. What do you think of Ken Shamrock's run in WWF? Was it a missed opportunity? Oh, yeah, it was a huge missed opportunity. I'm, uh, I'm an unabashed fan of Robo Shamrock from, uh, from, from late 98 and early 99 and that period. When he uh, he permanently snapped and became, you know, the unstoppable killing machine. I thought that was actually, I thought that was actually tremendous. Yeah. That was a really good use of him. And, I mean, it's not like he was... He was a super green worker or anything like that. Like he was, you know, he, he had experience as Vince Torelli before that. Uh, and actually, as I'm going through the, uh, the the Wrestling Observer flashbacks right now on Blog of Doom, cheap plug, uh, that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that uh, is coming up right now is, uh, is is his experience as Vince Torelli doing the indies and everything like that. So, I mean, he was he was around. 
Uh, certainly, but yeah, I thought I thought it was a, definitely a huge missed opportunity, and actually, so did uh, Eric Bischoff because one of the things that he was he was famous for noting is that Goldberg was his attempt to show the WWF the proper way to use somebody like Ken Shamrock. Is that right? So, that's interesting. Yeah, that, I never knew that. that. Yeah, like that's that was the idea with what Goldberg was supposed to be like a, a hybrid fighter like that, like mm. somebody who was tapping into that kind of MMA style because Bischoff was obviously a big fan for you know karate guys and uh, right and, and martial arts, right? So that, that's what he was trying to. Yeah. trying to recreate but uh yeah i mean like it's oh, amazing they they had you know at the time i uh, you know this top ufc star basically dropped into their laps with, with ready-made stuff right and, uh, what yeah, led, what it, led him there by the way you said he was vince torelli first was that that was that his name i'd yes. never heard that before yeah, so he was when when he when he first started out that was the name that he was using on the indie circuit was vince torelli um and then he wrestled uh, a couple of years before changing his name to Ken William Shamrock, obviously, uh, he moved to you know he he moved over to Japan hmm. uh, where he was doing the, the the fighting over there, and that's kind of where he started making his name for himself uh, doing the shoot fighting. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he was but but he definitely had experience in the ring before he, he came to the WWF. It's not like he was you know he had, he had never been in there anything before. I think he he seemed to have forgotten everything that he had, <laughs> yeah. he had learned. But but yeah, like he started in 1990, so I mean he he had actually been around for a while in the business before. Uh, before he came into there but so i mean uh but I mean, yeah it was like it was basically a proto brock lesnar that was that was dropped into their laps at the hmm. time and they just did you know ufc just wasn't a big thing no it wasn't no. i mean vince even promoted ufc at the time right yeah yeah exactly right yeah. so it's like they, they didn't really know what they they had there you know because you know imagine if you will like you know brock lesnar at that time running around right. everybody that's kind of what it could have been with with Ken Shamrock, I think, because there was no tapping out, right? Ken Shamrock was basically the one that introduced the mechanics. Yes, so yes, I do remember press. that. There was none of that before him. No, it was, uh, do you submit, you know, or shake I your head, yes, or, or I quit, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it really, it really kind of, it was something that really could have kind of redefined the style and merged things together. But as it was, they just, he, he just suddenly became another guy, basically. And uh, there was a couple of glimpses of it where he was doing like the uh, the Lions Den matches with Owen Hart, which were really good, I thought. I love that, yeah. What did, uh, you, you like that, Scott? Yeah, no, I really like that. Which yeah, it was really well, the big cage at SummerSlam. That was it. Was a pretty cool thing. It was, it was. Nice, nice difference. Yeah, yeah. Quinn, I, I Quinn, what did you think of that? I don't know about that. No, I, I why? That, <laughs> there was something about that cage that was a little goofy to me. Like, I, and and I know it's Owen Hart, he's technical wrestler, but <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed a little silly. The well, whole it was. Cage it thing. was, if I recall, I haven't seen SummerSlam '98 in a little bit. Um, it was a bit of like Ohm was kind of still working like a pro wrestling style, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Shamrock was going for more of a UFC feel. Yeah. Yeah. I could see why Owen, people Owen liked was doing it, like though. tornado DDTs off the cage. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Did he please tell me he Irish whipped him into the cage at one point? I, so. I don't remember, but yeah. <laughs> that, that match was, yeah, I remember thinking that was a little silly at the time, but I, I can also see like why it was cool. But I think a lot of that for me was is that he. I, we didn't have UFC in this New Jersey area where we're from. Like that's you know, true. Like it, it, I hadn't it's been, heard of it really. Well, it's been banned here since like this year. Oh really? Like yeah, you can't. We didn't really have it in the Northeast in our area. So when he came in, I mean, honestly, his entire rep to me was that on Good Morning America they said he was dangerous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I didn't. I had never heard of the guy. Uh, I remember them interviewing him. I believe it was at the Raw that maybe you would know, Scott, maybe not. That was at the Manhattan Center 
right? But, you know, yep. maybe in February. You're right. They interviewed him. Yep, I think it absolutely. was Waller interviewed the front. him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Waller was acting like he was his big friend with him and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I that's what I was saying before about Lawler. Well, yeah, he, Lawler. I remember him beating up Lawler. When he didn't he beat him up. I think he just insulted him. Okay. Or, in whatever uh, never never really went anywhere but yeah that's... okay okay yeah misremembering that but. now scott i have a question for you while we're on the topic of shamrock i seem to recall reading in one of your old rants that shamrock was never particularly well liked in canada is that true that is absolutely true yes any idea why uh yeah it's he was, he was always opposing like owen hart and bret hart and, and, and guys like that and, uh, yeah it just it, it just happened that you know, every every time he was up in Canada, he was fighting a member of the Hart family, and people huh. just got very, uh, very resentful of him. Um, I mean, if you watch like the the breakdown pay per view from Hamilton, yep, uh, that one in '97, right? People are just violently you know, opposed to him in the cage, and it's the funniest thing. And uh, yeah, like and he he did a house show in Edmonton uh, that I was I was there at, and we were taunting him the whole time, and it was <laughs> it was fantastic. And yeah, it was one of my one of my favorite memories was Owen Hart had him in the sharpshooter, and Ken was fighting it off, and he was actually flipping us off in the front row at the same time. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. We were yelling at him, so yeah, no, it was it was great. But yeah, Canada has always had this bitterness against Ken Shamrock, and I think the other thing too is it's because he was also on the Canadian Stampede team for the uh, oh. for Team US. There's, you know, yes. he was part of that as well. Yep. So, yeah, and all that, yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, so he's, he's got a lot of a uh, lot of strikes against him up here. <laughs> so, I feel like we might have forgiven him by now, but I'm not sure. Yeah, well, we'll have to send him up there. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe this maybe this month actually, maybe before January 20th we can yeah. send him up there for you guys. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to say just that as far as a missed opportunity is concerned, I felt like his face run was kind of disappointing. I agree, but I know Scott is in agreement with us or maybe at least me. Robo Shamrock, that heel run. The heel run was awesome. And I even li- remember liking him in the corporation for some reason. Yeah. I, I, I can't explain to you why, but I just did. <laughs> because at the time. every corporation needs a dangerous man. That's yeah. what makes <laughs> Well, I also like that he was with big, like, big boss hilariously big boss evil big boss man at the time. Yeah. Like, the most evil man in the company. The man that makes people eat their own dogs. Like, great <laughs> like, I just remember thinking that's like when he was booked properly. Right. It, yeah, it, absolutely. That was. He, that four-month run that he had as an Intercontinental Champion. Right. Then that ta- that was weird. I think they beat the Outlaws, Scott, maybe, for the tag titles, which was weird. That's right, yep. Yeah. And they had them for a – I felt like they had them for a while, but it probably wasn't because it, was, it was the Attitude Yeah, era, it was 99. But, it was 99. No one but had But I was also <laughs> like – you know, I was also like 12 or something. So like <laughs> – No, I mean, I mean, I mean, on the subject of the face – you know the babyface run be the missed opportunity. It it literally was a huge missed opportunity because I mean Vince Bret Hart was wanting to drop the title to Shamrock instead yeah. of Ken, uh, Shawn Michaels, right? That's true. So I mean by all rights Shamrock should have ended up with that title in December. So I mean that's that that's another one where you know he was circumstances kind of robbed him almost of uh, of getting that belt because you know it could have ended up with him very easily and. In which case, that would have been, you know, totally fine usage of them. So, you know, blame Montreal, I guess. Or yeah, blame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking speaking of December '97, Scott, th- did Michaels not want to work with him, or was that match just bad because Shamrock wasn't feeling? Oh, yeah, that. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think I, I think it was just because yeah, it, because Shamrock just was kind of crappy. Just was kind of green, and Sean wanted to get a good match out of him, kicking and screaming, basically, like literally kicking and literally screaming. Because yeah. <laughs> You can hear yeah. him yelling spots halfway across the ring every, every time. Close line, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're I right. I mean, I know it's I know it's a long time ago now, but I feel like even as a kid, when that that was at the DX pay per view, yeah, that was DX. I That's felt right. like that that match, like the outcome, was like a foregone conclusion. Yeah, it was like 
it just felt like Michaels was so fresh as being the champion. It just and you had it felt like Ken Shamrock could have been like a big deal against him, right? Yeah. Yep, it should have been. It absolutely should have been a big deal. But it's the first match after the screw job, and it's just like, it, well, you know, he's going to roll over. It's him. at a dog shit pay per view, yeah, and it's just a weird period of time for them. I, I wish they could have held that match off, maybe, but who the hell knows? Yeah. It might have been better for well, Rumble, right? Yeah, like I, it feels like if, it, if that had been today, it would have been a setup pay per view yep. where they did the dog shit finish and then you know came back and Rumble with a bigger one. But then they wanted to stick Owen in there and move into other things, and it was just yeah. It was, it was things were just very very disorganized after Montreal for obvious reasons. Yeah, and, and they just wanted to you know they were trying trying different things and yeah it was it was really strange but yeah it definitely feels like they could have had a more cohesive way to go go through it with Shamrock but they wanted they wanted to move him to Rocky and they wanted to move Owen to Triple H and do all this stuff right and, right. and who knows what Sean was doing so yeah mm-hmm. it was it was kind of so Scott um, well I'm going to walk the folks at home listening. Um, through this first, so Shamrock actually then after this heel turn in late '98, he he turned face around April of '99. It was part of the whole Stephanie McMahon, where to Stephanie that whole storyline <laughs> with the Undertaker, and he was like defending Vince, who happened to be a face at the time. It's Russo, folks. It just things yeah. happened. <laughs> it, 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 refresh my memory, but yeah. wasn't like some of the corporation like kind of facey at that time? No, because, but because of like Shamrock. The, it was just Shamrock. Well, unless Scott has uh, remembers better, but I yeah, think it was I just, just well, that's, Shamrock. That's, that's when Shamrock, Shamrock split off and joined the Union, right? Isn't that's that? right. Yes, yep. yes. Okay. The Union. Because I was just, I was just thinking because, like, I, I had said an episode or two ago, it's like that Russo era is so like it's hard to follow. It's so man. hard. To, like, I remember watching oh, all God, of it. Tell me about it. I, I went back watch, when I watched the first episode of SmackDown on the network. And I was just like this. I was watching it at the time in '99, and I'm going through it, and it's just like I was just completely lost by half an hour into the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so I was like, what the? Who the fuck are these people? And what are they yeah, doing? And yeah, exactly. Dave McMahon's got the corporation out there, and then like, and you know, and but but he's fighting with other members in the corporation, and he's fighting with Vince. And yeah, it's yeah. Like, exactly. Who, who hates each other? I don't understand. It's a weird time because you remember being there, but like you're like, what is all this? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure. Most of us could recite the card of WrestleMania three in order, exactly, you yeah. know, <laughs> and what was going on in the eighties and the early nineties. But man, you hit that Russo era, and things really start to fall apart. Scott, I want to ask you. My memory of Shamrock at the time, uh, towards the end of '99, I think it was around September, is he was supposed to have a match with Chris Jericho, I believe, at uh, the September '99 pay per view. I guess that was uh, Unforgiven, uh, and then he he wasn't there. Jericho fought X Pac, and Shamrock seemed to be gone. Do you have any – what happened with Shamrock? I don't even remember. Uh, he might have wanted to go back to fighting, but uh, mm. but yeah, no, I don't I, I, I don't have any – I know he was he was also injured uh, around that time as well. But what, uh, what I remember the most about that was he disappeared. And he then, just disappeared. And then the first thing I heard of him is I was in a FYE or something. <laughs> FYE? A, no joke. I was in an FYE in a mall, and I saw him on a UFC DVD from, like, recent, like, yeah. in the early 2000s. And that was the next yeah. time I ever saw him again. Scott, do you have FYE up in Canada, or did you? You know what that is? No, it's just I a don't DVD store. It's it's yeah. like a DVD music store. It's, it stands for For Your Entertainment. <laughs> we we actually have we have very little for for music DVD stores anymore. We have one called HMV, and that is pretty much the extent of it. It's yeah. it's getting that way down. Yeah, here it's too. getting that way here now too. But I'm, I'm thinking back in the DVD like Prime or whatever. Right. Um. I I do know that. Uh. It, it's I guess it's easy to say 
this is what they could have done with Ken Shamrock, having the perspective of like a Brock Lesnar now or even a Goldberg from back then, what Bischoff did. Um, I don't know that I guess anyone was really thinking that back then, except maybe Eric Bischoff himself you know, yeah. would have had better ideas. But let's let's brainstorm here. Maybe, Scott, I'll open with you. What do you think – you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, obviously, but what do you think they could have done differently with Shamrock, or what would you have done with them from his debut, you know, onward, if if you had the book? I, I would have done just like they do with Brock Lesnar now, like just have him go in there and just just plow through guys and ankle lock them until they submit, uh, and uh, you, you know, build them up as the the unstoppable killer. I, it's it's always been a money thing in wrestling. It's you know, it's Hulk Hogan lived off it for for years and years. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the major problem was that they they wouldn't have had somebody to you know, oppose, I mean, they could have actually, I, Steve Austin, I guess, would have been a logical guy, just yeah. like, you know, you know, like have him, have him run through everybody and, you know, build him up for Austin the way they wanted to do with Steve Williams, you know, I think, I think it would have worked, it would have worked totally well. And, you know, hey, you have that dynamic of the outsider coming in from UFC who, who doesn't play by the rules of wrestling. Right. The same way that Brock Lesnar did, right? Yeah, it would have been and great. I was, I, w- I was going to say too, though, would the politics of the time allowed for a Ken Shamrock to just plow through wrestlers? Like, I feel like Vince would never, allow that like back the real fighting yeah beating like the, f- the real fighting beating his fake wrestlers that he wants to look so impressive you know well i mean at, at the time vince was in a real bad way so it's true. you know you know hey he was he, he was up mm. for trying a lot yeah. of crazy stuff that you wouldn't have expected that at is the time. true that's yeah. a good point yeah um you know what i think ultimately the the memories of shamrock that i do look back on and i like is i like that like scott said that four-month run that wasn't a missed opportunity. That's that was a great way to book him. He was just like this crazy ass, unstoppable. Yeah, no, guy. that was good. Um, and I did like when he turned face, believe it or not, because I thought it was cool that he became like this badass again. Yeah, uh, and then he disappeared. But yeah, overall, I think I, I'm sure all three of us here agree. Shamrock was a missed opportunity. Oh yeah. And folks, I don't oh, want to. Yeah, sure. I don't want to ever miss an opportunity to tell you to check us out on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can go to our website now. Quinn, that's up and running, right? Yup, it's up. OVPPodcast.com. Dot com. Quinn, where can they subscribe? They can subscribe on iTunes, the Stitcher, Google Play, all that stuff. MySpace yet or no? Not the MySpace. No MySpace we keep, yet. We keep piping oh. it, but it's uh, not coming. Damn it. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so we will be back right after this. Ken Tomahiro's impression of the Big Boss Man. Kentucky Fried Chicken's impression of the Big Boss Man. Ann Wood's impression of the Ultimate Warrior. Kentucky Fried Chicken's impression of the Ultimate Warrior. And you can only make these impressions with WWF power stamps. There's Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Big Boss Man. And Macho King Randy Savage for 99 cents each. Collect one each week only at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And make your own impression. And welcome back to OVP Podcast, the retro wrestling podcast. We're actually talking with a very special guest today, Mr. Scott Keith. Thank you for joining us again, Scott. We really appreciate that. You're very welcome, guys. Thanks. So our next segment is the overrated, and this one is going to be given to Michael Quinn. He's (laughs) going to... Tell me and Scott something that he thinks is overrated. Quinn, what do you have in store for us today? So I think this one, Joe, you may um, agree with me, but I don't know about Scott. So here we go. Um, I've always thought that the Legion of Doom, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, are overrated. Oh, I want to hear why. Mm, Okay, yes. Okay, so 
I mean, I grew up more a WWF kid. So did I. So, and you know, I wasn't around for their prime, yeah, per the se. Yeah, NWA prime, right? Right. But I definitely went back and watched the stuff. Mm-hmm. When I first got into wrestling, I watched all the tapes and all that stuff. And I, I don't know. I always like Demolition better. First, first and foremost, so I'll start there. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna agree with you. I yeah. always did too. That might be because we were WWF guys. Yeah, but go ahead. But then when they come into the WWF, and I understand that they had a great run in NWA, and I've seen some of the stuff, and I get they're impressive and all that. But they come into WWF, and I mean, I've told you this before, Joe. The the way they came in, they they like look. At demolition and they like lose the belts <laughs> like there's that silliness and then there's like other problems like i just feel like they fight the nasty boys to win the titles and no they didn't they, they beat the oh, nasty they do. boys you're at right. SummerSlam. Sorry, sorry, yeah you're they, right. yeah, they beat right. the nasty boys at SummerSlam. My bad. and i don't know they just seem to be in there like i didn't like them as the standard bearer of like tag team wrestling at the time hmm and then they come, and then like after that run and everything, they come back at like WrestleMania eight, and they got a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, there's some other things too. Like I have a problem with Ellering. Like I never the WWF Ellering or Ellering in general. Ellering in general. Why you don't like the promos <laughs> yeah. he gives? I just, I, I guess I just don't get it. Like they're like he's so smart and he you know he he's he that was got, his gimmick he was smart he's so smart but I don't really understand what the hell he's talking about he's <laughs> he's in NXT now and I still don't know what he's talking about <laughs> so maybe Scott you can enlighten me because I really don't get the Legion of Doom and, and there's various other things like the whole drunk hawk <laughs> well that's the yeah. Drunk hawk, yeah, that's, different, yeah. that's a whole different thing uh, yeah uh, okay well um, El- Ellering is a smart guy Ellering's deal is that he is uh, well he's he's actually hell of a worker uh, but yeah as a manager he wasn't necessarily so great but he was legitimately their business manager oh true which okay. is why he, yeah so that, that's why he was around for so long with them, just just because he he kind of kept them kept them going basically from a business standpoint gotcha um i mean I, I i of course had nwa very early in my wrestling career <laughs> uh watching them. so i mean I, I i understand they were they were scary guys uh, like they, they were totally different from anybody else on the scene at the time. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the way you have to have to think with them. By the time they got to the WWF in 1990, there was uh, a whole host of Road Warrior imitators, three or four of which were wrestling for WCW at that point after they left because they immediately tried to replace them with uh, Maximum Overdrive and, uh, you know, what the, what the hell the other were guys the were. Were the Powers of Pain one of them? The Powers, well, powers of Pain were kind of, well, that, that was kind of WWF's own version of, uh, bringing in the Road Warriors. Uh, Vince McMahon was trying to get the Road Warriors for years and years. Like it was that was a long-standing rumor ever since 1984, basically when they debuted. That wow, Vince wanted them. Yeah, I guess I just asked that because I knew the Powers of Pain started in WCW, and you know when I w- go back and watch some of those old WCW episodes, they're on there. So when they're in WCW, their their point, their purpose wasn't to imitate the Road Warriors; it was to feud with them. But then when they went to the WWF, their their purpose was very specifically to to imitate the road warriors okay. and replace them uh, dave dave Meltzer explained it in the, in the observer that uh vince basically felt that the fans were so stupid that they would you know <laughs> they could squint their eyes and think that they were watching the road warriors that sounds like vince to me that sounds like vince. yeah so that explains that explains the haircuts uh being yeah. identical to hawk yeah. and animals right <laughs> that's exactly the idea so S- scott is it true that 
and I'm sure it is, but you probably have more insight than me, that Demolition truly was supposed to be Vince's original. That was his That was his counteract, or that was his version of the Road Warriors. Is that a rumor, or is that really what he was going for? No, that's what he was going for, yeah. It was, yeah. It was actually in the... Yeah, it was in, I was going through the observers at the time. Uh, yeah, that's that was kind of his idea. Okay. Yeah, I would say Scott. Though I would wonder what, as someone that saw LOD Road Warriors initially, did you like Demolition? Like, because I, I, oh, always, yeah. I, I always, loved I was a them. Huge fan of yeah. Demolition. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the thing is though that Vince it kind of intended them as Road Warriors, but they never were. Like Bill Eady is obviously you know, well Bill Eady's yeah. a much better worker than either one of the, the Road Warriors. <laughs> Very was. true. Yeah. You know, and and the team the team worked as on a totally as a totally different type of team. Like they weren't yeah. the overpowering blitz the jobbers team. Like if you go back and watch, like the best way to really appreciate what the Road Warriors did was to go back and watch the episodes of you know WCW Saturday Night that are on the network. Right. Uh, you know, when you had all the, the literally the fifteen second squashes where the Road Warriors would come in and find that they, they'd find the two skinniest, you know, yeah. geekiest looking jobbers <laughs> with no tan and no muscle tone. <laughs> Just throw him in there just to get murdered by a hawk. And it was glorious. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I love the – I've said it on past episodes. I love the idea of the squash match. Yeah. And I can get why – definitely <laughs> leading to doom with the, with the finisher that they had with the clothesline. Oh, man. That was I mean, such a great that, finish. That looks great on jobbers. But Absolutely. I guess – on guess, Billy Parks or whoever they're playing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know. the, thing, they, the thing is, too, like they, they came in in 1990. And, I mean, by, by that point, they were two years overexposed in, in the NWA and WCW as it was. I mean, when they, when they finally won the tag team titles in 88, like that was pretty much the end of the line for them as far as being a top draw. Hmm, um, huh. they, they turned babyface again. But by then, they were a really expensive pain in the ass for Jim Hurd. I was going to – yeah, I was going to say I had heard that they, they had outrageous demands for money. Oh yeah, it was, it was it was completely ridiculous. Like they they had to go by by, by the time they got to 1990, it was, it was literally Jim Hurd was begging them to leave, and they huh. bought out their contracts just so that the just so that they, they wouldn't stick around anymore. Wow, um, and, that's yeah. And wow. and I mean, they had equally outrageous demands in, in WWF, and uh, it's it, it got to the point where uh, essentially they were going to to go live in Japan for 16 weeks of the year. Uh, but Vince was in, in such a bad position that he, he had. Pretty much mm-hmm. nobody, as far as top baby faces went, in 1990. Like it was a really rough year with Ultimate Warrior on top, and everything like that. Yes, so it they was. kind of had some bargaining power, right? Um, originally, when they came in, too, the he actually had had planned that they would uh, remove the they, they didn't want uh, face makeup on, right? They were actually going to take off their makeup and grow out their hair, what? and that was kind of one of the delays of coming in because he wanted them to change their look because he felt like there already were oh, enough cr- people with painted faces and muscles. Oh, that's crazy! That's crazy. Yeah, so, but okay. Like, what you're telling me though is, it seems like that they were they almost had a limited draw, like it, it, as far as years were concerned. <laughs> and I guess what I'm saying is, is that they're remembered like this big thing, like they were, like almost like they were around long or something, and they were. But I just feel like the majority of their career is just disappointing. Is 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 that the right word for it? Uh, they they drew drew really big for. For, for a few years, uh, most of their prime was basically in, in the South from uh, 83 to about 86. Like that's where they, but the thing is though, because it's, they didn't get stale because they didn't stay anywhere for long. Uh, they came mm-hmm. into a place for, you know, they, they come in for, for, for a couple of months, they would destroy everybody and then they would leave again. Uh, that <laughs> was part of the problem when they, when they did the WWF, right? It's like, well, you, you come in, they, they run through 
demolition for that feud and said well what do you do with them from there right because they're not going to do the the crazy squashes like they did on tv to, to keep yeah. them finding new interesting things to do all the time so it's just you know how you just just ran out of things to do with them right away basically right and yeah i mean i i can stand what they did to, the damage they had done to demolition i i still feel with crush i felt like you know crush wasn't oh, yeah. that bad they could have kind of continued on a little bit instead of going to repo and all this but <laughs> you know like I, I i don't know like and then demolition gets the crappy music and yeah we, it, we've been oh, over yeah. that well, yeah yeah that was i mean a lot of that too was uh was vince's vendetta against bill Eady at that point oh uh, yeah Eady had, you know, he had the health problems and, and they had their their falling out so yeah basically vince's idea was well we're gonna and actually there was um just to go off on another tangent about that. Uh, the point when when Demolition got the masks, uh, oh. they took off the. Oh Vince. yeah, yeah. So that was that. That was actually really the start of, of the big split between Vince and uh, Vince and Bill Eady because uh, Demolition had actually signed a deal with uh, to go over to Japan because they were actually getting very popular uh, at that point, right? Mm. Because their their feud was you know their 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 career was kind of on the downswing in the WWF and they figured they can go to Japan. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they would have been big, I would think. Back, big in Japan. But the thing is that the Japanese were very much into, you know, like the, the black leather masks and, and the spikes and everything like that and the face paint and that was really cool. And then Vince immediately and Vince changed the gimmick. He put them under masks mm-hmm. and then basically at that point then uh, the Japanese didn't want them because this was it was essentially a different team and that, that kind of killed the gimmick for them. So so Edie was very bitter about that because it ruined that whole thing for him. Yeah, I could see a split over that definitely. I, I could too. You know what you know what always bugged me about that feud, the LOD demolition feud, is that there was never, to my knowledge anyway, there was never just a proper LOD versus axe and smash. And I guess it's obviously oh, yeah. because of what you're saying, Scott, with the Bill Eady fallout, but every demolition um lod match that i've ever seen whether it's on coliseum video or anything like that it's always the crush version by that point right exactly yeah and that's the, the, the plan <laughs> the plan had been like as as far as what where they were going with it was that they, they wanted to come in and get the tag team titles on road warriors lod really fast actually hmm. um that was that was kind of the idea behind the the phantom title switch with the heart foundation and the rockers okay so the, the rockers ah. are supposed to be titles uh, you know, and, and it was supposed to pass then to either either back to demolition or to, and then to LOD, blah blah blah, right? So that was that was kind of where they were going with that. They wanted to get the belts off off the Heart Foundation one way or another and get them back and get them to the LOD really quickly. Okay, which is really weird because they you know it, they then did not end up getting them for like almost another year. Yeah, after yeah, that. it was so long. So yeah, it was kind of it was kind of a, a whole strange thing with them like that. But that was that that had been the idea at the time. Before we go too far on the the demolition thing, I also wanted to say, I mean. The other thing that I always think about them with is that LOD 2000 deal. Oh, I, I mean, like when it first happened, I think I don't know about you, Scott. I don't know about you, Joe, even either. But I thought that was going to be pretty cool. So at did first. I. So did I. And we were 13. So yeah, I mean, it's but <laughs> it just fell apart like immediately. Like, do you know what happened there? Like that was that was mostly Hawk and his problems. OK, basically. so his real life problems were then turned into a storyline. Right. That's right. Yep. With the drunk hawk angle, and, and then it jumps off the Titantron and all that. Jump off Titantron. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because the long game there was like they 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 really did want to replace him with draws. Like that was uh, that that was always where they were going with, Ooh, with the whole thing. Yeah, I remember puke being in there. Puke. <laughs> it's puke. Yeah. Draw, draws was draws was essentially brought in to yeah to uh, take over in, in the team. And, and Vince really thought that was going to be. Vince was, really thought that was going to be big. He thought that was that. 
draw the people would be buying goddamn puke and animal t-shirts <laughs> well you know and, I, little, little, little kids puking in buckets at ringside and shit you know? well remember beyond the mat he's like all excited he's about puke. <laughs> he's got a puke <laughs> yeah just little foam puke buckets for the kids yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> Foam nipple rings. Vince really uh, on the pulse of the people there. Yeah, definitely. He was on top of that. Um, one thing I wanted to uh, <laughs> to bring up, too, about LOD. I do agree with you, Quinn. I, I didn't get the appeal. Scott's done a very eloquent job clarifying yeah. their their appeal in the NWA at the time. NWA awesome. WWF sucks. There yeah, you go. That there you go. Yeah, seems to be the consensus. But I will not lie. And again, this brings up the Manhattan Center Raw from February 97. I was very excited as a, a 11-year-old fan at the time when they reached turned at the Manhattan Center oh, Raw. Yeah. That was awesome. I was like, yeah, LOD is back. This and is great. Music, I mean, the yeah. music hit, yeah. But then they just immediately were, you know, torpedoed into the tag team scene. I think they killed the Godwins. They broke Henry yeah. Godwin's neck, I think, in real life. Right, Scott? Yep, they sure did, yeah. Yeah, and then they kind of just uh, were the LOD again for a bit, and then I loved it when the New Age Outlaws. Yes, I, I really did. I was going to say, go ahead, go I was ahead, gonna say something about that. I I felt like it was exciting at first. Yep. But then you realized it was like, no, these guys are from like it's the 10 LOD. years yeah, ago. Exactly. Like, what? Like, why are they just wrecking? Just absolutely wrecking these new dudes. It was a very exciting thing that like that um the the New Age Outlaws beat them. Right. What do you think about that, Scott? Yeah, well, that was very that was very much Vince Russo and his his obsession with like you know the new guys beating the old guys, which it, it there certainly is something to new guys beating the old guys like that's right. you know if it's done well and it's built up, but I mean, I, I think just, that was with, the with time. Russo was too much. It was they you know destroying them. If you if you go out there and you and you you know uh, mock them and. Uh, and have them, you know, go out and look like complete losers, and then New Age Outlaws beat them. It's like, well, then what? You know, what'd you be? You beat a bunch of losers, right? Yeah, like, you know, true. how does that get anybody over? Good point. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I was at that point. I was done with them. So I guess I was. It was one of those cases where I was happy about it. But you're right. Yeah, it's if you completely denigrate them, like, and then you beat them. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. the old wrestling adage. You know, yeah. just if you make your opponent look like you know an idiot, and then if you make your opponent look like an idiot, you beat an idiot. Exactly. <laughs> what good did you do? But I think the times that we were in at that point really softened that. Yeah, like, I you think know what I mean. It was it was the beginning of the Attitude Era, or at least like right on the cusp of it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh, played out with Russo destroying the old guys too much yet. No, it was a new yeah, concept, exactly. and I always also like just to to continue that <laughs> train of thought when the Outlaws, in turn, a few years later, got destroyed by the Dudleys in early two thousand. It was like a yeah. nice like oh yeah yeah bookmark. Yeah, the the Outlaws were so beyond stale at that point, and yeah, that was actually that was one of the that was a nice little passing the torch thing. <laughs> yeah, they had, but that's the thing though, was they had been built up as Triple H's you know heavy tag team, right? That mm-hmm. was yeah. that was behind them, and they they got the big push again, and all of a sudden, just bam, the Dudley Boys beat them and then they were gone yeah, and they, awesome. they didn't they didn't stick around the tag team division well, either. They, they eventually know, they, they left they eventually came back and got squashed again by uh, the shield if you remember yeah, well <laughs> that was awesome yeah, too. yeah that was good too that was great um and you know billy billy Gunn's like 53 years old and he's gonna yeah. be doing the, the the japan tag team tournament in a couple of weeks oh like, is he god. coming back again wow I, oh my god i missed that the one <laughs> billy gun scott i know you love that run back in uh, <laughs> 2000 <laughs> Billy Billy Gunn and Yoshi Tatsu are going what? to be a tag team. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, they it, are going. Oh god, they're going to lose every match. I oh, think geez. I saw one thing with Yoshi Tatsu since he came back. He doesn't seem like he's the same. 
I don't he, know. Well, he, I don't think so. No, he's been he's been terrible since he came back. Yeah, because yeah, his neck or whatever. Yeah. So we're gonna move on now, straight into our underrated segment, folks. And this one, I have a I I think it's underrated because I think a lot of people like to crap on the match quality, but I love 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 Coliseum video tapes. <laughs> I'm talking your WrestleFest 90, your oh Battle of the Superstars, your Rampage 91, Definitely. your Best of the WWF Volume fucking 13. <laughs> I remember, Scott, I, I'm sure you can relate to this, um, my, my affinity for these tapes, because I remember as a young teenager reading your reviews of your Coliseum video rants. And you just, like, you warmed the cockles of my heart. Because I was like, I can relate to this shit. Of course the matches are bad. Yeah, sometimes you'll find a hidden gem, actually. But of course the matches are bad. Of course it's just to make money. Of course it's just to use this footage that you've taped at, you know, TV tapings and recycled house show stuff. Of course it's Sean Mooney and Alfred Hayes on commentary (laughs) for a lot of it. But I, there is just such a charm and appeal to me to these Coliseum videotapes, regardless of the match quality, regardless of the minus five stars, minus like Brian Alvarez would say. Stars. You know, I don't care about that. I like the, the dulcet tones of Alfred Hayes and Sean Mooney <laughs> guiding me through this Haku versus British Bulldog match. I like, you know? Like, what do you think, Scott? What do you think of the Coliseum tapes? You, you reviewed enough oh, of them. Oh, yeah, geez, of course. Yeah, you know, you know where I stand on that. For sure, we should put them all in the network. <laughs> Thing. Agreed. The, the thing is, you know, I mean, as uh, when, when I first started renting them as a twelve-year-old, right? Like, it, it was you're watching, you know, WWF Superstars of Wrestling or Maple Leaf Wrestling, as we called it up here, um, and you know, you get like British Bulldog squashing a couple of geeks, <laughs> and you know, Haku squashing some geek, <laughs> and then you know, Iron Sheik squashing some geek, and that's all you ever get on TV, and then you, read, and you watch this Coliseum right, videos, and it's like, yeah. holy fuck, here's like, you know, Iron Sheik against British Bulldogs from <laughs> Boston Garden, like, holy crap! Yeah. Like, you know, like, this is, this is stuff you would, like, you know, we got like, you know, one or one or two host shows a year in Vancouver, but like, right. you know, it, 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 aside from that, right, you get all these crazy, mind-blowing matchups that you would never even even think of, and oh, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, this... this you're exposed to all this stuff that you know that like lumberjack matches and sure. like, cage matches and things you don't see on TV. Mm, just was, a bunch of oddities, basically. Just a bunch of oddities, yeah. Like you know, you know, back back before you know they had three hours of raw to fill every right. week, and you know they would throw every crazy shit at the wall to to just just to fill time with it, right? Like you used to have to pay for these things, and it was it was fantastic. It was you know just because it, the, the product was not overexposed, and uh, mm-hmm. it was just you know. I, I still love to go back and watch them. And like as you say, it's they have they have a real charm about them. Um, they're the fact that they are thrown together so haphazardly is it's just like you <laughs> it's, know, so it's it, like it's a grab bag, right? Like, yeah, you know, it really is. And, it, and yeah, you're right. It's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you're, you're you're totally right. And it, it just it has that feel of like this was thrown together in Fairfield, New Jersey, oh seven double oh seven oh seven double oh seven, and they just put it, it. It's Mooney in a studio. I mean, there's some great memories I have with them. Like the what? I love the the is it the Wrestle Fest one where Mooney's like sweating profusely. That's like, hottest matches or hottest matches, yes. Matches, yeah. And and all all that nonsense and just like Lord Alfred Hayes on a train like traveling <laughs> through Europe, like and yeah. and the Star Trek one, Invasion ninety two. Remember that one, Scott, with the Star Trek oh, yeah, theme? For sure. Like they they used to have fun with uh, yeah with all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you, you know they you know and, and it wasn't even like you know 
the the kind of the deliberate comedy they're writing now, right? You know, it's just they're just goofing around and yep. they're they yeah. go out there and doing this kind of stuff off the cuff, right? Yeah, it's it was, it was they didn't they didn't take themselves seriously at all with it, especially when you had like you know Bobby Heenan out there, <laughs> you know, clowning around on them like that with uh-huh. yeah, with. with yeah, or uh, Johnny was, Johnny Polo actually had a Johnny few Polo, where he was yeah. oh, hilarious, great. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, Johnny and Johnny Polo, of course, was producing behind the scenes as well. The, that stuff, right? Wow, so yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, interesting. Because yeah, yeah I, it, it, he feels like he's looser in he's those. Very, like he's, very, he, and he's like making fun of Gorilla like the whole time, like, like but not in a like, not in a like almost like it's a performance kind of way, almost like he's like muttering under his breath and like kind of like making fun of Gorilla in such a way where he doesn't know he's being made fun of because he's older. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, true. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. true. I mean, yeah, like Vince, I think Vince really liked uh, Johnny Polo actually. As I, I mean, like yeah. speaking of his opportunities, I mean, like, you know, obviously he, he wanted to have an interim career and go on his Raven and yeah. and do all right. that stuff. But oh, my God, like, they were they were basically offering him you know, a producer position behind the scenes at that point. He could have like, been a commentator. Yeah. He could have been a commentator. You know, he could have, he could have written TV. He could have been Vince Russo. Like they were big. He, he wanted to continue mm-hmm. wrestling on and, and went on and did it. But yeah, like he, he could have been like a head office guy these, these days if he'd stuck around in that yeah. position like that. Yeah. He, I mean, it, it's almost like, do you want to like sacrifice the great Raven stuff in ECW right, for that's a that thing. Johnny Polo right. stuff. It's both good. It's both great, but yeah, I love Johnny Polo. Yeah. I never, I never got Raven. So, you know, Hey, yeah, screw Raven. Uh, like, you, you, you weren't like a big grunge rock fan, Scott, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, mean, I was a grunge rock fan, but I mean, I just, I don't know. The character was weird. What do you think of that fun stuff though in WCW with him, where I think Stevie's like at his house, but he's rich. Oh yeah, <laughs> that it was stuff was like, kind of funny. It was, was that was later on. That was yeah, the, like the, with the Jersey Triad. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was. It was almost like they combined the Johnny Polo yes. backstory with the Raven character yeah. in WCW. Like yes, they brought it exactly. all together. You know, he's a rich, disturbed kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah, great. That was kind of cool. But back to back to Coliseum okay, video. Yeah. There are some hidden gems there. And Scott, you know, as you know, you've reviewed tons of these. I, I and I've read them many times in my heyday. Um, and Quinn, you've watched a ton of them with me and without me. Yep. There are some hidden gems there. One of my favorite Coliseum video matches is this awesome unsung match from January of '94. It is the Hart Brothers versus the Steiners. It's on WrestleFest '94. Remember that one, Scott? Oh, of course. That's one of my favorite matches of all time. What a really? match. Oh, yeah. First time I ever saw a Steiner screwdriver, I nearly shit my pants. It was just <laughs> oh, yeah, fantastic. I'll have to go back and watch that. I, I think I, I oh read my somewhere gosh. about that well, recently, I mean, okay, too. You know, I mean, like, and imagine, if you will, right? Like, you know, Scott Steiner goes take, you know, says to, is talking to Owen Hart backstage. He's like, yeah, I want to lift you up in a suplex position and then drop you on your head in a pile driver. And, you know, you, hmm, you yeah. just imagine Owen's just like, all right, let's yeah, do it. Yeah. A seated Because he goes out there and he takes that thing with gusto he does man and, and it's and that's a nasty move that's a seated pile driver that's not like Absolutely. a that's not a tombstone you know where you're scott steiner is not known for protecting his opponent no no way <laughs> yeah <laughs> not at all that match is awesome it has a, a double dq ending if i recall correctly but the steiners egg on the hearts to come back and fight more so they do which tape do you say that was on wrestlefest 94 94 94 yep. oh, yeah there is another match on there too, if I'm not mistaken. That was also awesome, but yeah, it's uh, Brett Diesel. 
No, uh, no, it was, it was. It was. I think it was something with the click and the heart. But there was. I think there was a couple on WrestleFest '94, if I'm not mistaken. Like the the hearts Steiner's one is the like you know the big one. But there was another one on that was great too. Mm-hmm. But, Would uh, you guys? Yeah. You guys seem to be more knowledgeable in the costume tapes than I am. But I did watch plenty of them. But yeah. I'm saying. Do you guys think the match quality kind of went up on those kind of after? I would say post when that 92. flare was like beat or flare lost to Brett. On I do the notice. Tape. I do notice that starting in ninety two ish, that yeah. there are some better matches. Like the Brett flare matches, you know, was only available on Coliseum Video at the time. Yeah, I mean, that was weird. I believe that was in in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. That was in Saskatoon. Yes, unfortunately, I was not living in Saskatoon. No, uh, you were. But were you in Edmonton? I was still or? in Edmonton. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. Huh. So kicking myself. Yeah, the quality had to change because the television product was changing. Like with mm. uh, WCW was was putting on more competitive matches every week, and then you know WWF had to follow suit. And then at yeah. that point, then it's like, well, why am I watching Coliseum Video because this is the same stuff you yeah, get on TV? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Good point. So they, they had to step it up. That oh. that videotape smack 'em whack 'em. That's a great one. That has the Brett yes. Flair match. Brett Sean Ladder match. The Sean Ladder. 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 That's probably my favorite. And Coliseum. one of my favorite segments ever. Quinn and I love this one. Cooking for the single man with Yokozuna. <laughs> yes. We love that. It's so unintentionally funny, which yeah. is that I, I get a kick out of it every time. It's just like Yoko's like moving Gene's hand towards the oven, but like it's not really mentioned. And like There's these all subtle things about it. Fuji's, Fuji's being having a, the time of his life. Fuji's being a oh, jerk, yeah. I mean, jerk, but not really. Yeah. I mean, speaking of underrated, yeah, me and Gene was just like. He oh, was just yeah. What a straight man for these things, right? You know, <laughs> oh like man, he, he he knew the deal, right? Like, yeah, you know, Gene. Yeah, Gene. Mean Gene was in my mind the best at any. He's the best one of the Mean Gene types that there's ever oh, been. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about Mean Gene too was that you you know you'd have these wrestlers who would go out there and forget their bullet points and mm-hmm. you know they'd, oh, they'd stray could, off yeah. course and and Gene would just bring them right back like the laser beam, right? You know, like just. Fantastic. It's like he could fill yeah. the gaps. I was actually watching um, over again. You know when Elizabeth has to like um, pick what side she's going to be on? I don't know who I'm going to pick. Oh, yeah. She starts straying off, and there's a distinct point where Gene like kind of rings her back in. And I, I, I just noticed that the other day, and I'm just like, I just miss Mean Gene. Oh doing yeah, that man. Kind of stuff. I, and and yeah. he he had one of my our favorite lines from Rumble '92, which is "Put that cigarette yeah. out," <laughs> which, Put that cigarette which out. we love. Um, and, and Scott, actually, speaking of Coliseum Video and underrated, in our first episode, um, Sean Mooney was my underrated. Actually, I actually really like Sean Mooney. What do you think? Yeah, Sean was good at what he did. Don't you uh, think? Uh, there, yeah. was, there was a weird period where I can't. It was, it was he brought in his twin brother Ian Mooney, and I never really understood the. What the gag was there that they were going <laughs> we, for? We, but, we uh, covered that. We, we've <laughs> actually, believe it or not, Scott, you're not alone. We have covered okay. Ian Mooney. I have on my soundboard here. Uh, I have the Ian Mooney soundbite from Wrestling Spotlight. <laughs> it's I, amazing. I don't know what that was about. I don't know why there was an Ian Mooney, but there was definitely a period of time where this is what you heard. Hi everybody, I'm Ian Mooney, and I don't know what it was about. I don't know why there was. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Did you did you see uh, Sean Mooney on the Edge and Christian show on the WWE Network? I, by the way? I saw a clip I heard of about it. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I saw no, some was, pictures. He was pretty funny on there too, actually. So yeah, he, he was that guy was a team player. He he absolutely was for he, sure. Yeah. He knew his role. And you I know, go ahead. Quinn. I was just going to say, you know, who's another t- t- like MVP of those tapes is Lord Alfred. I love Lord t- Alfred. And I, I uh, as we're talking about this, for some reason, I'm remembering some funny segment. Where Lord Alfred's teaching table manners to the Brooklyn Brawler and, and Sherry, and, Sherry. Sherry yeah, and right. that is a 
I, that is such a silly segment, but I just it, it. I know it's corny, but I just can't like. I just can't help myself but love it. No, it's so good. I, I love Lord Alfred. He was this like he wasn't truly a heel. What? Yeah, but he leaned towards the heel. That's the impression I got. I don't know about you, Scott. He leaned towards being a heel, but he wasn't really like a heel. What do you oh, think? Well, he, back when he was wrestling, he was absolutely a heel. Oh, yeah, he no. The best I, yeah, I knew about that, too. Judo Al Hayes, yeah. yeah. Judo, yeah. Yeah, Judo Al Hayes, yeah, no, he was great. But, but as yeah, a commentator. No, I mean, he was always, he was always he, there was always, like, a you know, slight air of snootiness about him, especially if you watch, like, uh, the, 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 the rest of the Tuesday Night Titans shows. Oh, yeah. On, where he, yeah. He has, you know, he's playing the sidekick, and he has, you know, this air of somebody who's, you know, I'm well above this right. station in life, you know, putting up this shit from this point. <laughs> he also, they cranked up his heelness during his last year or so, like 93, yeah, 94. That was a really weird period. That was <laughs> weird. Yeah. And then I think the last thing he ever did, have you ever seen Scott, the Donnie Brook theater? Oh, oh yeah. Have you ever seen that? I've, I've heard, but I can't. I, I it's awful, bro. Don't, don't yeah, see it. Don't but. seek it out. But we, we stumbled on it. Um, on when, the network. No, no it wasn't. Sorry. It was that classics on demand. Yeah. Thing on that cable. Was briefly it, available. And it's, it's like a 10 minute pilot for like some fucked up variety it's show. It's hosted by Pettengale, I think. Todd Petty Poop. Yeah. And, um, mm. and it, but Alfred Hayes is the announcer, but it's from 95. So it must be his last appearance. And uh, I don't, yeah. yeah. So I, I just thought it was interesting, but it's bizarre. Uh, I right. to close out this segment before we go to break here. Um, I think the Coliseum videos again. If you're looking for some like edge of your seat <laughs> pay per view, you're in the wrong place. But if you're looking for some goofy ass theme, maybe or yeah. some thrown together fun grab bag matches with a lot of fuck finishes, you know, <laughs> DQs, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> But it, it's fun because you don't know what you're going to get because no one me- really memorizes the Coliseum video lineup. There's like hundreds of them, right. so no one really knows. And I don't know if that would translate now to the modern fan, people who weren't around then, but... I don't know either. I think, I think it would kind of translate to like the, the people who, like myself, were part of the tape trading scene in the 90s because that's, that's, that's kind of the natural extension of the Coliseum right. video grab back stuff, right? Where you'd get all these compilations of yep. shit from... From people online, right? And I think I think there might be something to that now, like making your own playlist on WWE Network or something along those oh, lines. Oh, cool! Yeah, you could do that too. That's, That's true. true. I yeah, I just I it, it they're very interesting and they're very fun. And like you said, Scott, about tape trading, I remember when I first got into wrestling, I used to actually tape with trade with Joe here mm-hmm. tapes, and yep. those Coliseum tapes were treasured. Oh yeah, know? because you never knew what you were going to get. Yeah, and it was fun. And speaking of never knowing what you're going to get, we'll be back. Right after this. Well, it's become a ritual. This is how the 505-pound Yokozuna maintains his weight. I understand he consumes 15,000. Yes, you heard me right, 15,000 calories a day. And you contend this is what he has to do to maintain his strength and endurance. Well, what's with the knife? That knife looks to me like it's very, very sharp. Yeah, it is. How long have you been doing this? How about six years? Six years. Lock what are we going to have here tonight, Lou? Fuck it! And welcome back to our Vantage Point, the retro wrestling podcast. It's just about time for our last segment here before we get to that. Just want to remind you... Hey, if you're listening now, tweet at us, OVP Podcast, or you can email us at OVPpodcast at gmail.com. That is OVPpodcast at gmail.com. Quinn, where can they subscribe? 
Uh, they can subscribe on the iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, all the regular player.fm apparently we're yeah i don't now. even know how we got I don't on that know what one that is. i didn't even submit anything i'm not even sure what that is and of course we are joined by scott keith from the blog of doom it's it's incredible scott is with us i hope <laughs> you still there scott? <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm still there yeah i'm fighting i'm fighting off all these uh these, these expatriates who are knocking on the door here trying to get into the country <laughs> I don't blame him. Uh, so it's time, unfortunately, because this hour has flown by. Yes, it has. But it is time. And I could do this for hours and hours, but I have to go to work tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the then and now. And this, folks, if you haven't caught on by now, is where, you know, when you're a wrestling fan for, let's say, 20 plus years or maybe 30 years like Scott, your perspective can change from when you saw something at the time versus what you think of it now. So, Quinn, I'm going to throw to you. What do you have for a then and now? Okay, so this one, um, I really don't know where it's going to go with you two, so I'm kind of excited about it, but um, I thought it was apropos at the time, because we're nearing Survivor Series, Okay, um, to talk about a certain event that we've put off a little bit. This, oh, must, this <laughs> must be Ludwig Borga and Lex Luger. No. Oh, damn. Um, the casket match, Yoko Undertaker. No. Damn. <laughs> I thought it would be a good time to talk about the, the Montreal Screwjob. <gasps> oh, God. And changed perspectives on it. Okay, so... And that's really what I wanted to focus on more. Quinn, I'd like you to set the stage for me. The stage really is this, is that Brett was going to go to WCW, right? Yep, that was agreed upon. Um, He had signed with them, I believe, already, yes? He had, yep. Yep. And um, there was going to be one final match. He was the champion at the time. He was. And he would be facing his arch rival, Shawn Michaels. Your favorite. In Montreal. In Montreal. And if I know my history right, there was supposed to be some kind of schmoz, as Brett likes to call it, in, yeah. the, in, in Wrestling with Shadows. or There was supposed to be some other ending. And um, instead, Shawn puts him in the sharpshooter. Ring Vin, the fucking bell. Rin, Rin, Vince rings the fucking bell. And... Um, you know, the whole wrestling world uh, blew up in anger. Let's put it that way. Okay, so what did you think at the time? At the time, I was actually, as much of I am a, admittedly a Shawn Michaels fan. A huge one. Right. At, but I was on Brett's side. Okay. Um, why? Why? Because I just felt it wasn't the right way to do okay. business. Okay. But as the... Yeah, but as the years have gone by, my opinion has really changed on the whole thing. What do you think now? I look at it as I, it's you know hindsight's twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and I see the the stage where this was playing out and you know, the competition with WCW mm-hmm. a couple years after the Medusa thing, which you know when that happened, I feel like I didn't fully because I was too young. I, yeah. I think I didn't fully comprehend what was happening. Nor did I. And I can see where Vince was coming from. Okay. So what do you think now? What I think now is I think it was the correct decision. Um, I think that Vince was in the right because this guy didn't want to do business with him. He wanted... That was his boss. And I understand that he worked with Brett for a long time and that, um, you know, maybe Brett wouldn't have left with the belt yeah, I don't know. I that don't he think would've. I don't think he would. But, I really don't think he would have. But you got Bischoff in the equation, and yep, you never know what's going to happen. And well, I would like to hear what you 
you okay. guys have to say about Before, it. Before I'll I'll make a quick statement and then I'll throw to you, Scott. Okay. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll have things. Yeah. I can't wait. No, that's yeah. good. Um, Bret Hart is my favorite wrestler of all time, and Quinn knows that. Right. Any, anyone, you know, the six people that listen to this podcast, <laughs> they know that. Um, I love Bret Hart, and I'm with you, Quinn. At the time, I was on Bret's side. For many years, I was on Bret's side. Now, I am not really on so much a side. I get why Vince did what he did. I get it. I'm not saying I think it was the best thing to do, but as someone that, from what I know anyway, I'm not an insider, from what I know, he was his his mindset was to protect his business at the time. They were in fierce competition still with WCW at that point in 97. He really didn't know if Bret Hart, you know, theoretically could have taken this title with him to WCW the next night on Nitro or whenever. I don't, you know. So I've, I'll put it this way. I'm much more sympathetic towards what Vince did than I, than I ever was. And I think that Brett should have just dropped the title. At the same time, I don't believe he ever would have taken the title with him. And I do believe him when he says he would have dropped it to Shamrock or Austin Anybody. or the Brooklyn Brawler at MSG. I believe him when he says that. But it's also... Almost 20 years ago, so like any bitterness that Brett might still be carrying on about losing a fake championship, I think he should let go <laughs> at yeah. this point. So that's where I stand. I, I, I agree with you to, to that extent. Scott, what do you think? Okay. So it, it's a very weird thing to look at it now from, from the perspective of, you know, there's probably, probably fans now who don't, weren't around for the screw job at the time. Probably don't understand why, you know, it's like, oh, well, he didn't want to lose a title. Right. Like, you know, big, big fucking deal, right? Like, you know, who, who cares? Guys yeah. lose titles every week, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, you know, obviously it was a much, much different thing back then. Um, so that's, that it's, for me, that's a really weird perspective of the time. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you at the time that it happened, people were very confused about it. Yep. Um, I had lots of people who were casual fans basically come up to me and being like, I watched the show last night. What happened? Like what? What was that? Right? It was. Yeah. They yeah. weren't ang- angry part of the time. They just, you know, this this was weird. Nobody had ever seen like this. You know, somebody get get screwed over like that before. It was kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, so as far as him leaving and the belt, you were mentioning about Medusa, right? The you know dropping right. in the title and okay, so that was actually the precedent that ensured that Brett would not do that. Um, Medusa dropped that title in the garbage can. And WCW got their asses absolutely handed to them in court over that. Mm, um, okay. Jerry yeah. McDivitt sued them into the Stone Age <laughs> for putting their intellectual property on WCW Nitro. And Eric Bischoff, to say that he got his wrist slapped by Ted Turner over that would be a gross understatement. Eric Bischoff would never have put the, the, the world title on Nitro after that. Eric Bischoff would have been basically fired from the company had that happened because uh, WCW almost got sued out of existence for just for doing that. That was a big deal. Now, Scott, that le- that leads me to another question, though. WWE did the same exact thing with Ric Flair a couple years prior, yes. if you recall. Yes, so, that's right, yeah. Um, but didn't Flair own the belt? No. 
No, the belt oh, was owned. Oh, you had a deposit by, on it. Sorry. Yep. You had a deposit on it. The belt was owned by the National Wrestling Alliance. Right, right. I guess I guess what I was going to say is well, Did WCW sue over that? Right. Did, did, yes. did was okay. it a reverse yes, position? They did. It was reverse position, exactly. That yes. led so to the to the video distortion, yeah. which really and wasn't video distortion. Yep. And then the okay. tag uh, belt right. being the thing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So back to bringing, yeah. bringing somebody's belt onto another person's promotion has never led to anything good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, so all right, so uh, the other thing as well is about how, you know, Vince didn't know if Brett was going to go to WCW the next night at Nitro, right? You're saying? Yeah. Like, he couldn't have. Uh, Bret Hart had an agreement to begin to work for WCW, but that agreement did not go into effect until the first week of December. Okay. Bret Hart still under contract to the WWF until that point. Legally speaking, he could not have shown up on Nitro until then. And had if that had happened, then again, legal Armageddon would have resulted. You know what? That's a that's that's. I'm glad point. you brought that up, Scott, because that's true. Even though the the screw job was November 9th, ninety seven, Bret Hart didn't show up in WCW until mid December before Starcade. Yeah, a little bit right. before. That's right. Good point. Good yes, point. That's that is Brett, a good point. I didn't think Brett of that. Did not yeah. have legal clearance to appear on WCW television. No. Now the way that Vince tells it today, of course, is that he he thought that Bret Hart was going to lose the title and then show up on Nitro the next night, which is you know that's that's that become the story over the years because that's the story that the wwf propagated do you do you think that like again because the times were so chaotic though that vince even even with all the legal legal mumbo jumbo and everything that vince could have had some kind of concern because you know wcw made him money it's not like they couldn't afford to pay that kind of thing yes vince was paranoid as fuck at that point so yes i'm not i'm not surprised at all that in vince's mind that's what he was doing um, but I mean, okay. So here's here's my question, though. Why did Vince put the world title on Bret Hart in the first place, if he knew that he was that he was leaving and he was going to breach the contract? Well, like that's that's the thing that really gets me, right? Like, why why even do that? Then why even put yourself in that position? If I recall the timeline, and I don't know if it's Dave Meltzer's, which if it is, it's probably accurate, or if maybe it's Bret Hart's own timeline or just whoever. I don't believe that Vince was said to Brett at least I don't know when he knew it obviously but I don't believe he revealed to Brett that he couldn't afford to pay him quote unquote until September right. of 97 but he put the title on right. in August right exactly I mean if it's his mind though you would think he would yeah, you he would, would think he would know yeah. right yeah. right yeah. Yeah. I got at you at the same time it's not like it's not like he had any great plans for Brett as champion right like he put he the title on no, and he, he immediately promotion on Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Yeah, exactly. And Brett Brett was fighting fucking Del Welks, you know? The Patriot, <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I get what you're saying there. Why put the title on the guy? Why do you think Vince, Scott, do you think when when he signed Brett to that 20-year contract in, in late 96, do you think he had any intention of fulfilling it? Uh, I think at that point he, he might have because he was in such a bad position. Uh, he was very the, the the feeling at the point when he signed it was he was Brett was going to jump to WCW like right. it was going to happen. They yeah. had an agreement to go right, right, right. You mm-hmm. know, Vince was up against the wall, 
And, and you know, that's, that's the solution that he came up with because he couldn't match WCW's money. So he came up with the 20 year plan to do it instead. Right. I think in his mind he was going to do it, but it's Vince McMahon. His mind changes constantly, right? <laughs> that is true. And so and a year especially later, back then. Yeah. yeah. Especially back then. Right. And so a year later he was regretting it. But I, I mean, I think in Vince's mind, if Bret Hart had shown up on WCW TV in 1996, that would have been, you know, a dagger Oof. through his that heart. Basically. That would have been, that, that been might have been game over. That might have been, that might have been game over. Absolutely. Yeah, Cause yeah. I, I could even see. Once Brett goes, I mean, you kind of only have Jeez. Sean carrying it. And that then, was it, really. And then what's to prevent WCW from offering Sean $10 million sure or whatever they did? They did, they did right? Yeah. Yeah. Lot, yes. I'm sure they did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, so Scott, okay. We have to wrap up shortly here. I'll, I'll be a little liberal with the time. I think Quinn got some extra airtime for us. But, <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what do you think should have happened? If you can, if you're God, right, and you can just control what happened at Survivor Series '97 and the fallout from it, you know where Brett goes and when. What do you do? I would have, I would have done the whatever crazy DQ finish and the brawl, and then I would have had him, you know, drop the title the next night to you know Steve Austin, or like say, or Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, you know, anybody. I, Ken Shamrock would have been fine, you know, whatever, like. Yeah, you know, temporarily. He'll, he'll be there the next night. Yeah, exactly. Have him show up, drop into Shamrock. You can do DX interference, whatever. Boom, there you go. Next feud. And and I think, like, because, you know, the, the story goes the original thing that was pitched to him was, you know, the four way in, in December, you yep. know, whatever. Yep. I don't know if that was actually going to be a thing or not. But I mean, I, you know, I, or, uh, or, or even, you know, Brett just didn't want to lose in Montreal on that particular night. He would have been fine. Losing it to Sean, you know, later on, even as well, right? So, like, yep. yeah, yeah. I, okay, I guess, just, I guess, to close out, I just wanted to get from you, Scott. Is just, would do you? I guess, do you agree with what Vince did in the end? At, at, at the end of the day, do you like? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let let's you know, say what you will. It turned the business around. Yeah, it created yeah. the Mister McMahon care. So, I mean, in the end, Vince was right. Yeah, you know that was that's that's where the business needed to go, and the thing is, if Brett had stayed around in that kind of role, he would have been a major roadblock on there. Yeah, you know true. he wouldn't. You know they wouldn't have gone there. And I, you know, and I'm not saying that I agree with the decision. I think it was kind of shitty on Vince's part, but I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't argue with the results. Yeah, you can't. You know whether they were intended or not. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, if if you think about it, if Austin was to be the lead. It would have been hard having Sean and Brett around with Austin, would you, and, right. and the Undertaker, and Assuming they kind Sean of Sean doesn't get injured, either. right? And right. what I'm saying is that they almost kind of lucked out because Sean moved out of the way because of the back injury, and then yeah. Austin was able to just mm-hmm. yeah, Sean shoot to the moon. Sean could have re- right. really, Sean could have, especially 1998, Sean, right? He could have really roadblocked a lot of the Attitude Era. It's true. But mm-hmm. instead, you got guys like The Rock and Mankind and Kane, even freaking yeah. Kane, Glenn Jacob, Isaac Yankum, yeah, and- you know, was a main mm-hmm. player. So I think the way it worked out, I mean, obviously, we know that now, you know, tw- almost 20 years later, it worked out. The, the, here's the thing in the end. I just wish WCW hadn't fucked it up so bad. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Brett, With Brett if yeah. Brett Hard had, had jumped over there and they had done the right thing, 
and been like, hey, it's the uncrowned WWF world champion. We're going to put him in there against our world champion That's and what, draw <laughs> a billion dollars. And that would have been fine. Everybody would have been happy. Yep. Bret Hart would have been world champion again, made millions of dollars. And, you know, yep. you know shit would have been great. Fresh and opponents. Like that. Yep, fresh opponents. We, we actually – Fresh opponents. Our, That's right. It, it, it's true, Scott. I, our, a few episodes ago, our missed opportunity was Bret Hart in WCW. And you're, everything you just said is absolutely right in my yeah. eyes. I mean, they instead of having him come in as like this like fake ref for a Sting <laughs> match, they they should have had him fighting Hogan sometime in '98. They should have right. had absolutely. multiple matches with Hogan. Yeah, if you ask me. Sure. Had, had so him, I mean, that's that, that's the main thing. If you know, if if the fact that Bret Hart hadn't been such a waste in WCW, then I don't think that it would have been viewed as such a career killing thing for Bret Hart. Good point. Mm-hmm. You know, Very Montreal, if he, if he, he could have bounced back and you know, made millions of dollars, but, you know, as usual, because WCW, right? They, right. I mean, WCW ruins everything. <laughs> yep, yeah. and that's why they are no longer with us. And speaking of no longer with us, unfortunately, our time is just about run out here. We only have so much airtime we can do here. <laughs> we uh, are very thankful to have Scott Keith on with us. Scott, again, thank you so much. We really appreciate you speaking with us for this last hour. Don't forget, you can tweet at us at OVP Podcast. You can also email us at OVPPodcast at gmail.com. You can also just go to our website, which is OVPPodcast.com. You can subscribe, as Quinn has set up for us, the <laughs> iTunes, the Google Play, the Stitcher, Apparently, player FM now. Yes. <laughs> but not MySpace yet. Folks, we are, again, Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate that. Thanks, thank Scott. Thank you so much. You can obviously be sure to check out Scott at blogofdoom.com, podcast of Doom, although it's on the back burner. And uh, again, folks, we love talking with you about wrestling, so let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. What's your underrated, folks? What's your overrated? What's your missed opportunity? Let us know, and we will be sure to talk about it in our next episode. Scott, thank you so much again. We will uh, we'll be happy to have you on some other time. If you're game with that, we are too. For sure. All right. So, folks, have a good day. If you've been listening to us at work, have a good rest of your work day. Yep. If you're listening to us on the drive-in, have a good drive-in or have a good drive-out or drive to Canada, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so long, folks. See ya. By the time Bret Hart stepped center stage for his matchup with Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series, he had apparently already closed the door on his WWF career. Uh, um, given my 30-day notice with WWF, and right now I'm under contractual review with both the WCW and the WWF, I'm leaning strongly towards going one way. In the end, his actions spoke volumes. Let's cut right to the chase. Seven days ago at the Survivor Series, did you or did you not screw Bret Hart? Bret Hart would definitely tell you I screwed him. I look at it from the standpoint of the referee did not screw Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels certainly did not screw Bret Hart. Nor did Vince McMahon screw Bret Hart. I truly believe that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. And he can look in the mirror and know that. I have no sympathy for someone who was supposed to be a wrestling traditionalist, not doing the right thing for the business that made him, not doing the right thing for the fans and the performers and the organization who helped make him what he is today. 
Brett made a very, very selfish decision. Brett's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. Brett screwed Brett.